What's happening, Lance? What's happening, Coop, on Super Bowl Sunday? Uh, y'all preparing for the big game today? I'm ready for it. Yeah, I know. I know you like. Let's get this over with because I know you a football crazed man. That's that's your sport. Yeah, I may or may not watch it. We'll see. I'm not a huge. Yeah, once fantasy football is done, football for me is pretty much done. So, <laughs> did you win some money this year? I took second, so I got my money back. Yeah, hey, that's better than losing money. That's yeah, better than losing money. Well, I uh, I only am interested in pro football to the extent that when the Vikings win, it seems like everybody in Minnesota is upbeat and bouncy. Even when I go to the schools, the kids be happy. They're probably happy because their parents are happy. When the Vikings win, there's a different energy for the next six days in the Minnesota atmosphere. When the Vikings lose, everybody's an asshole. For six days, the gas station, the convenience store, you go into work, everybody just grumpy, pouty, asshole-ish, road raging. So I follow professional football to the extent that the Vikings um, are in it. And when the Vikings are no longer in it, I could care less. So, you know, I'm not, I might flip through the Super Bowl, but I'm taking my daughter to the Science Museum for a couple of hours because I'm hoping that it's uh, a little empty. So, because everybody's preparing for their Super Bowl festivities, and then by the time we leave there, when it closes, hopefully the roads will be empty because everybody will be in front of a TV and eating chips, prepping for the game. So that's the extent of my Super Bowl interest. And guess what? If it was cold enough outside and the lakes were frozen enough for my taste, I'd be ice fishing today because I know there ain't gonna be nobody out on them lakes today. Uh, you are tuned in to the Coach and the Culture podcast. I am Coach Frank, joined as always by my son, owner proprietor of Yes! Exclamation Point Trees, Mr. Lance Gardner, and of course, the super producer himself, Lloyd Leon. Can't wait for the Super Bowl to start. Coop in the building. And uh, we are going to break down, as always, the Minnesota Timberwolves week that was and a little bit about what's coming as they slowly move toward the All-Star break. I apologize in advance for my voice. Uh, our Richfield basketball team is in high gear getting ready for the section run. I'm also teaching eighth graders at Brooklyn Steam Middle School, and I'm hosting the open mic on Thursday nights. So I am, and I'm doing this podcast and another one for Compass, my job. So I'm beating my voice up. So, you know, it's just going to have to sound like this until we get into the uh, spring months. So let's get straight to it. Nothing to it but to do it, Mr. Lance. Mm -hmm. Wolves bounced back after a tough loss at the end of last week to the Orlando Magic. And in true Chris Finch fashion, he gets the team ready to go against a young Houston Rockets team led by a couple veterans and Fred Van Fleet and Dylan Brooks. And they come into Target Center and the Wolves resort back to who they are, hold them to 90 points and put the smack down. And you were at the game, man. So tell us about it. Yeah, 90 points, um, but realistically, when the starters came out of the game, they were at about 78. Um, it was it was a really lockdown game. Um, the starters exited the game with about five, maybe even six minutes left. Um, and then the Rockets kind of went on a little bit of a run, but their defense was, was, was stout. Um, everybody was playing well. Anthony Edwards had a really good game, shot 50% from the field and from the three-point line. 
Um, there was they they just I think they were prepared to to, to go on this road trip, and they knew that this was going to be their last game at home for a while. And they went out there and gave it everything they had, and and they only had to play three quarters of the game really. Um, and so that was it was good. It was fun to watch. Yeah, a couple couple of notes from that game. Just you know, as I watched it, um, and as you very well know, as a coach, I always say the two things you have to do to win a game is you have to play as hard or harder than your opponent, and you have to play as smart or smarter than your opponent. And you know, um, looking at the Rockets game, the turnovers a little higher than we want. Fifteen turnovers, only twenty one assists, but just total dominance on the boards. Um, Fifty eight to 41 rebounding advantage for the Wolves. And I feel like a couple of them turnovers came more to, at garbage time when the game was pretty much completely put away. Um, Jaden McDaniels, uh, you know, offensively kind of nondescript in that particular game, five and four rebounds. I'm going to highlight that four rebounds because and he seems like every time Jaden McDaniels gets four rebounds or above, um, the Wolves seem to win the game. I'd love to do the research and find out what is the Wolves' records when Jaden McDaniel gets four or more rebounds. I just think that's such a key barometer for him more than anything else. It really speaks to when he's engaged um, and his work on green in this in this particular game was just, you know, Josh Green was was uh, was, was completely locked up. You know, three for 15 shooting for a young player, uh, I'm sorry, Jalen Green. I said Josh Green, Jalen Green for a young player who we know can get on a heater. You know, we know that he can get hot. And when he gets hot, he gets confident. When he gets confident, 30 balls are coming next. Um, I also thought that they did an outstanding job on Fred Van Fleet, um, you know, holding holding that Rockets backcourt of Green and Van Fleet to 19 points total on 7 of 26 shooting. Uh, Dylan Brooks wasn't even any better. He only scored seven points on two of seven shooting. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, for as much as there's so much talk about, you know, the bigs and how the NBA is kind of reverting back to what you would call a double big lineup, you look at what Cleveland's doing right now. Um, with Jared Allen and, and Evan Mobley. Uh, obviously, you're looking at what the Wolves are doing. You look at uh, how many teams at the trading deadline made moves to try to get a little bigger or at least have something bigger um, um, to compete with. And ultimately, it's still a guards game. Once a guards game, always a guards game. Well, not once all a guards game because there was a time when Wilton, Kareem, and Bill Russell were the dominant forces, Artis Gilmore and them. But in today's era, this is a guards game. And when you can lock down the other team's um, backcourt, you know, when you can hold another team's backcourt to 21 points total, uh, you're doing something. So shout out to Jaden. Also, the work that Mike did on defense and the work that Ant did on defense against the Rockets. Um big time stuff, uh, doing what they needed to do, you know, and, and, and as a coach, that's what you want to see. You, your team bounces back from a tough loss, uh, a game that they should have won and they come out and they play with a sense of urgency for the entire game. Um, I know Rudy said that, you know, we got to be dogs for 48 minutes. He said that after the Chicago debacle, which we'll get to next, um, but it felt like that's, you know, that's who they were against Houston and and giving their fans something to cheer about before they head off on the road. <clears throat> yep. Um, yeah, and then going to Chicago to start this road trip, and they started out 
on fire. Uh, I took a 22-point lead into the second half, and this time it didn't happen in the fourth quarter, but it happened immediately coming out of halftime. Uh, but they at <laughs> Shades of Atlanta all over again. Yeah, um, and and it it was you know a lot of it is just intensity. Um, you know they, I don't know if they expected the Bulls to just lay down and the youth came out once again and they thought that they were just going to go out there and play enough to to you know blow them out of the game or what. But um, it was it was definitely a lack of maturity um, and intensity out of the guys, and it's slowly 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 over over those last two quarters um, got to the point where they ended up finding themselves in overtime, which they really shouldn't have even made it to that. They, I think that they were going to, I thought they were going to lose um, before overtime even became a factor. Um, and it, it didn't look good that the ball got sticky and started becoming a lot of ISO ball. Um, there was a play, I think within the five minute mark of the fourth quarter where Rudy Gobert got the ball at the elbow and took two dribbles and tried to score over um, Andre Drummond at the front of the basket. And I'm, I, I said as I watched, I'm like, so this is what we, this is our, this is what we're doing right now. We're giving Rudy Gobert the ball at the elbow and taking two dribbles. And that's how I knew it was all discombobulated. And they didn't know, they didn't really have any structure or design or idea of what they were doing. Um, they were just kind of out there trying to do whatever they could to hold on. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. And, again hopefully these are learning lessons that the wolves are are gonna grow from um because it's i texted you halfway through the third quarter i know actually (laughs) i told you it was halfway through the third quarter was actually after the game and uh i said the wolves are in trouble because it looked like uh it looked like they're you know what they've been doing over the past month or so not being able to close out games and to do that to start a five game road trip is not what you want to do yeah, and, um, <clears throat> you know, it's funny because I was still in the third quarter when I um, when I received that text because I often when I have game nights, I don't get a chance to watch the game real time, so I have to DVR them. And, of course, most Tuesdays and Fridays we're playing, uh, and we were. We were, we were uh, handling Robbinsdale Cooper quite well that particular Tuesday night. Um, and, and as I was watching it kind of unravel, um, it reminded me of a pattern, a trend that you tend to see, especially when Ant gets it going early and when he gets it going kind of in isolation fashion. And that's, you know, no doubt that's what happened in that game. Ant got off to a hot start. He had a really good first half. Um, things were coming fairly easy. And I still think that's a bugaboo with this team that when things come fairly easy on offense, they switch into a offensive mindset. They go into um, being more concerned about scoring than concerned about the little things, getting back on defense, boxing out, rebounding, pushing the ball with pace and a sense of urgency, getting into their sets early. Um, It tends to become very stagnant when things become easy early. Um, And let's be honest, Alex Alex Caruso and the team scheme of Chicago really made things difficult on Ant in the second half. Um, There were plays where he absolutely needed to get off the ball, and he didn't. Um, there were times, a month, number of times where he missed Carl Anthony Towns wide open as a role man. Um, passes came late. 
uh, plays became, you know, look for a shot, look for a shot, look for a shot, force a shot, or look for a shot, look for a shot, look for a shot, can't find one, pass out at the last minute. Um, we've talked about it a number of times, how that's just bad offense. Um because it doesn't lead to shot making, shot making, shot making, even at the pro level um, is very much a rhythm thing. And when the ball is not coming in rhythm, it's not coming on time. Um, it's a much more difficult for pros to make shots. And then we talk about Jaden McDaniels and, you know, I don't, I don't think it's any coincidence. Um, and yes, we spent a lot of time talking about the kids. Our whole last episode was it's the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dad is mad. It's the kids, right? Um because, you know, they, they are such a barometer of what's happening on the floor with that team. And there's no question in my mind that uh, it's not a coincidence that Jaden McDaniels has 11 points uh, in the first half and the Wolves are up 22. And then in the second half, he scores two points, no rebounds, and the Wolves blow a 22-point lead and lose by six in overtime. Uh we talked about how Jaden McDaniels didn't score well against Houston, but he had that four rebound mark. That is for me always a sign of his activity level. Uh against Chicago, he plays 40 minutes and has one rebound. Um, you know, it wasn't a great Mike Conley game either. Some uncharacteristic mistakes by Mike in that particular game. Um, not necessarily turnover wise, but I thought, you know, not going and getting the ball and dictating late offense and letting uh, Ant dictate late offense at times, you know, three for seven shooting from Mike, not horrible, eight assists, no turnover. So it wasn't a bad Mike Conley game, but uh, in a game in which in the second half you're getting nothing out of Jaden. Uh, you really got nothing out of your bench outside of Nas Reed. Uh, one for four, three points from the kill. Kyle Anderson had, you know, two points on one for two shooting. Um, you know, very nondescript. Both him and the kill were minus and the plus minus. Um, those two, along with Ant Mike Connolly, were the only ones, well, I guess Jordan McLaughlin, if you want to count his seven minutes, that were negative in the plus minus. Um, so it was just one of those games where the defense let them down. They, they let Kobe White get going in the second half. Uh, some of that was just, you know, bad defense. Carl not pressing up on him. I think Chris Finch talked about that. You know, Chris Finch talked about how it was the defense that let them down. And he's specifically pointed out a couple of plays where, you know, one of them, Carl, you're guarding a hot guard. Yeah, you might get blown by, but you can't let Kobe White step back into a rhythm three-point shot. You got to get up if you're cat. Um, There was another play that Rudy uh, got beat by Andre Drummond, but um, Jade McDaniels inexplicably opens up the left side, uh, left-hand drive uh, for, I believe it was DeRozan when Cat was playing high wall. So you can't open up against the side that the screeners, that the person defending the screen is playing high wall again and let your man turn down the screen and go straight line drive at Rudy because Rudy's now in a complete box. He's got to step up and help straight line drive. Now they kick off to Drummond and he gets the easy bucket. Um, There was another play that was in the second half that uh, Rudy and Cat blocked Drummond's shot, I think, three times. 
and uh, the ball just kept bouncing around and uh, landed in Drummond's hands after two of the three blocks. And then the third time it bounced around and bounced back out to a Chicago player. But why I bring that up is I believe this was about the five-minute mark of the game, and Mike Conley kind of came in to help. Ant and Jaden were nowhere in the screen, in the picture, at a time in which they're making a run at you. You need to get possessions. You need to get stops. Um, Jaden was leaking out all the way by half court. Ant was just standing and watching out by the three-point line, and the ball ultimately finally bounces back out to Chicago, and I believe they get a three-point shot or, or a, a bucket on that particular possession. And, you know, that's the kids sometimes <clears throat> their sense of urgency. And at winning time, you know, I just pointed out a play by Cat, a play by Ant, two plays by Jaden um, that you just can't have when the other team's making a run and it's winning time. And we've seen too much of that in the fourth quarter of games in which teams have come back. And so, you know, and and, and Rudy talked about it. After the game, he said, until we had that dog in us for 48 minutes, this is going to continue to be a problem. Well, I think part of the problem is when things come too easy for the kids early, they tend to stop focusing on the important winning things. Yeah, that's a great breakdown. Um, they had the Bulls had 13 uh, offensive rebounds and 16 second chance points, yep. um, which is a lot. Um, and that, again, everything you just broke down just stems back to the intensity factor. Um, you know, they came out of halftime and, again, just kind of expected to, to win the game. Um, they they came out on fire. They came out with defensive intensity, and, mm -hmm. and that's what got them that lead. And as soon as they switched that motor and shut it off and thought that they could just coast is um, when – it happened again, which we've seen time and time again. And again, hopefully they learn from this and stop making the same mistakes. Um, but it is definitely um, a lot of that hinders on Ant and and uh, Jaden McDaniels. You, you don't know which one you're going to get right now. Um, and and when, when we've talked about Jaden being the X factor, when his intensity is up and his motor is high, um, the Timberwolves have a, a much greater chance of winning a game. Um, and you know they bounced back again <laughs> yeah and uh, you know the other thing i want to point out about the chicago game too is you know because i a lot of the promotions for our show i do on twitter um i have a lot of twitter conversations with people and um you know, the conversation was all oh, Chris Finch's late game offense, this Chris Finch's late game offense, that, and they need to run more plays. First off, I am a little bit irritated with this narrative of they don't have enough structure. They don't run enough plays. Um, I, I think that a lot of people, uh, as I do as well, listen to Dane Moore and Dane Moore's NBA podcast and Dane Moore's talked at, nauseam about you know his conversations with chris finch and um kind of flow versus structure and play calling and not play calling and i think a lot of people who don't really understand what they're watching when they're watching nba basketball have just kind of taken that narrative and lazily run with it and it's always they need to run more plays and chris finch's late game offense and you know i'm watching the game from a coach's perspective so i know exactly when they're running plays and when they're not i coach basketball and nba plays look a little bit differently a lot of times than 
high school or college plays um, because a lot of times NBA plays, you're going into plays out of flow. That's the, that's what happens when you have a 24 second shot clock, you know, and especially when you're trying to play with a sense of urgency and get into your sets early in the shot clock. Right. Um, So I just want to say, Chris Finch is running a lot of sets, and we talked about it on last week's show. They are running a lot more sets down the stretch of games than they have been in the past, um, in the beginning of this year. Um, And just because they're stalling on offense does not mean they're not running sets, and it doesn't mean they're not running good sets. Oftentimes what it means is the players are making bad decisions in those sets. And I think fans think, well, you just run a play and you get the shot that you want. You know, the other guys on the other team are paid as well. They are professional basketball players. You're not going to run too many plays that those guys have never seen before. And so oftentimes it's your third, fourth, fifth option in a particular play that gets you the open look. And what people don't realize is a lot of times Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, for that matter, are not allowing plays to get to options three, four, and five by over dribbling or holding the ball or not moving the ball quickly enough. And to the fans, it's like, oh, well, why don't they run a play there? Why is it just ISO ball? Well, ISO is a decision that is an option in a play. And if Ant is making that decision more than he should be, then it's going to look like they're not running a play. So I would love for people to actually learn what NBA sets are or aren't and not just take a early talked about narrative and apply that as a general blanket to Chris Finch's offense because – if you sat down and watched the game with me, I could tell you all the times that they're running a set play that it doesn't look like it's a set play. And and so um Well I you talked about that last, last week in the podcast, you were mentioning how Mike Conley in his one of his interviews said that exact thing and how, you know, it's not that they're not running plays, it's just that we're not making the right reads out of the plays that we have. Yeah, um, and so uh, you know, you you went into length on that last week. So if anyone wants to go back and listen to listen that, to it, you'll, yes, you'll you'll be able to find uh, that exact Mike Conley interview, and you can take what he said from the actual player's mouth, and uh, maybe that will change your view on the fact that they don't run plays because a lot of times, like you said, these guys have already seen, like you can only run so many plays. You can't, like <laughs> you can't make a new play after every single game. Like they they scout, they've. You know, there's only so many plays you can run in basketball. Um, right. If if there was a play that worked every time, I'm pretty sure every <laughs> single person would be doing it. So, yeah. Um, and with the shot clock, like you know, you can't you can't just hold the ball at the top of the key, wait for everybody to get in a position. It, it doesn't work that way in the NBA. So, right. um, it, it definitely comes down to um, the people with the ball in their hands the most, and that is Anthony Edwards and Mike Conley and and, and they they and Towns. Um, but they, I mean, they stated weeks ago that they needed to get the ball in Mike Conley's hands more often late game, and then he got injured, and so that that whole idea yeah. went out the window for the time being because it was back in Anthony Edwards' hands, not by choice but by force, and now they're trying to figure that out again late games, but also keep in mind a lot of these games that they've been losing late games 
they've the players themselves have put them in the positions to even have to play like this in the last yep. three minutes because they've had leads they've blown the leads themselves and yep. then you're putting your coach in a position where you, now he he has to not only try to get you guys re-energized and re-motivated to go out there and play the way he knows you can play but now you're also putting on him that you are expecting him to make this perfect play to save the day and that that shouldn't even be the case yeah, and, and it also shouldn't be the case that, you know, Andre Drummond and Nikola Vuvacic go for uh, 40 points and 22 rebounds against Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I put some of that, you know, I put some of Vuvacic's numbers on Towns. Towns has been a little bit inconsistent with his defense of late. We mentioned the Kobe White play. Um, and I also put a lot of it on the guard play. I put a lot of that on um, Jaden was not very good defensively in the fourth quarter. Really, Jaden wasn't good the whole second half against Chicago. Ant was attacked defensively a little bit as well in that fourth quarter. And then you got these guys coming downhill at Gobert excuse me, and putting the team in rotation. And that goes back to why I talk about how they need more scoring from that three spot from Jaden McDaniels, because there are guys in the NBA that you're just not going to stop. Um, and when those guys like DeRozan get on a heater, you got to make it tough on him, but you also got to be able to come back at him on the other end. And I think if you look at the second half numbers, of what DeRozan and Kobe White did versus Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels just the second half alone, you know, much like Gobert and Towns, mm -hmm. you have to say they got their ass kicked. And everybody in this Timberwolves starting five got their ass kicked in the second half of that Bulls game. And that's how you go into the half up 22 and walk away with a six-point overtime loss. So it is what it is. I want to – real quick before we move on to the Bucks. um, Another thing to keep in mind when you're talking about these late game plays is a lot of times coaches call plays based off of the flow of what the game's been doing, right? Yeah. Somebody's hot. Somebody's been, um, you know, the other team's defensive player has been lacking. They've, they've, they've got a sense of the flow of the game. Well, when you're up 22 points and your lead slowly starts to dwindle over a quarter and a half, there is no offensive flow to that game. There is no, um, this guy's hot. There is no, we need to get this guy to this spot. There is nothing to go off of other than this is a play we know how to run. So let's go ahead and try to run that. Right. And that's it. Now, if you're in a flow of the game, you get to those moments, you know, it's a good game back and forth. Blows are being tossed. You have an idea and a sense of what's been working. Well, you just played a whole half of basketball when nothing's been working. And so you can't expect it to all of a sudden just click on like a light switch and now everything's working again. Yeah. Um, and so that's another reason why. And then if we look back to the beginning of the game or the season, um, we talked to, you know, I've talked multiple times about timely shots, right? A lot of the, a lot of those shots, those timely shots came from set plays. They came from, from games that they were competing back and forth they were they ran a play, and a lot of times though, that play was set up with Mike Conley being a top option to be to to set up for a three point shot, and a lot of empty side stuff with Mike and Rudy, a lot yep. of high screen game or, or drag or double drag stuff with Mike and Rudy and Cat, um, Nikhil. We talked about him getting mm -hmm. 
corner, those corner threes and in timely fashion or those those wing threes on timely fashion. And, you, you know, Nikhil's not the number one or two option probably in any of the Timberwolves sets. So to your point, when that ball is flowing and you yep. see Nikhil get that weak side uh, corner three or just above the break three, that means they got to the fourth or fifth option in that particular set. Exactly. Um, so you, you go back and look at the beginning of the season and you'll see – the plays were being ran. The plays were being ran well. Everybody, although the offense was still a little shaky, the ball was moving, right? And that's when those plays tend to work. And we've talked about it. Anthony Edwards holding on to the ball for too long, holding on, making the passes too late, those things. Um, but if you want to go and, you know, I don't think Chris Finch has changed a whole lot besides maybe his intensity level from the beginning of the season to now. Um, you can go find times at the end of games where they're running plays over and over and they're working and those timely shots are being made and that's what's getting them those W's. But they also weren't putting themselves in situations at the end of games to be stressed out and trying to find something out of nothing. Right, yeah. And and that's why Chris Finch, in his post game, he didn't really come out and talk about you know, the stagnant fourth quarter offense, what he talked about was the defense in the entire second half because the guaranteed way to not blow a 22-point lead in a game is to get stops. And, and you know, that's where that maturity piece comes in of, you know, and Rebecca Brunson talked about it in the post game. Um, I love her post game commentary on uh on on Bally Sports um post game show after the Chicago game because she she spelled it out perfectly. She talked about how things were coming pretty easy for Ant, especially early in the game in that first half. And a lot of it was coming out of ISO. He was in a good rhythm and he was getting things easy. And in the second half, Chicago started blitzing him a little bit. Alex Caruso dug his heels in and we know he's one of the better defenders in the league. Uh, they started to really be aggressive in their wall concepts and really trying to stop Ant from getting to the rim. They made things hard on Ant in the second half. And instead of becoming a ball mover, and as you very well know, when you got a good score in first half, have going you want to keep it going and instead of becoming a ball mover and recognizing that the defensive intensity had shifted it and picked up and stayed in that score first mode and ultimately that was to the detriment of the Wolves offense but again to Chris Finch's point you know Yes, it's a make or miss league, but what you have to do is you have to dig your heels in on the defensive end and go back to getting stops and getting rebounds. And you already pointed out how they got killed on the offensive glass in the second half. And, you know, it's been much has been made of the point that uh, Colby White went off for 30 in the second half, but very quietly, DeMar DeRozan also gave him a 33 ball. Very quietly, Vuvacic gave him a 24 ball. Um, very quietly, you know, not so quietly, the Bulls put up 70 plus second half points. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, those, those were the those were the big things when you look at that game. But then in typical Chris Finch team fashion, for as ugly as the Bulls loss was, for you sending me a text message saying the Wolves are in trouble, um, they bounce back. They always seem to bounce back. Now, sometimes they bounce back because they get lucky. Sometimes they bounce back because they dig in. Um both things happened against the Milwaukee Bucks. They got lucky in the sense that Damian Lillard and Chris Middleton were out, um, but they also played extremely, extremely good basketball uh, to the tune of 34 assists and only eight turnovers, 51% um, shooting from three, 21 for 41. 41 is a really nice volume number of threes to take, and then when you make half of them, 55% mm -hmm. from the field, 
Um, they only allowed Milwaukee 16 free throw attempts. They matched that with 16 of their own. Um, they win the battle of the boards, 43 to 35, just a dominant, dominant performance at Milwaukee, a season high 129 points on the heels of a bad loss um, at Chicago. And, you know, the funny thing is if you say going into those games, if they split Milwaukee and Chicago at Milwaukee and at Chicago, you know, I'm upset about that. You might expect them to beat Chicago and lose at Milwaukee. But if you say they're going to split those two games, you know, you, okay, you you can live with that. You understand that those are two road places that are tough to win. Um, the defensive job that was done on Giannis, because if there's no Middleton and there's no Damian Lillard, you go into the game saying, okay, there's really only one person right now that can beat us. So let's try to focus on him. And for, for as bad as Rudy and Cat were against Chicago, and we talked about the numbers they gave up to Vuvicic and Drummond, um, they were just as good against Giannis, um, you know, holding him to 17 points and only 14 shot attempts um, and and holding Bobby Portis to 12 points on 5 of 12 Um you know, and again, like I said, putting up a season, I believe a season high, 129 points on offense. And, you know, I'm going to let you go ahead and jump in here and then we can talk a little bit about what I saw differently on offense in that Milwaukee game that you started to see um, hints and samples of something we've talked about a while back on this podcast that I'm hoping we'll see more of going down the stretch. But I'm going to let you go ahead and jump in on this Milwaukee game from the player perspective. What are some things <clears throat> Um, well, it's going to be hard to do that because unfortunately I didn't get to watch this game. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you got to tell um, me that ahead of time, man. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, no, nah, it's, it's fine. We're just looking at the stats. Um, a very balanced game. Um, they got, you know, Jaden McDaniels under our mark of 14, 15 points and four or five rebounds. Um, but he wasn't that far off. Um, and so that, that helps. So I'm looking at 17 points from Nas Reed off the bench. Um, that's, it's very clear and evident that Nas Reed is going to be, um, and need to be their scorer off the bench. Um, Kyle Anderson, go ahead. Real quick on Nas, real quick, before you continue on that. If you haven't watched the game, you can come on over and watch it, man. Nas was in his bag. Yeah. <laughs> Nas, was, Nas didn't just score 17, but they were loud. He he was man. He had he had a high glass floater coming from the right side. Oh, it was I was like, ooh, Nas. And in the <laughs> next possession, he comes back and goes left hand high glass over the top of a uh, somebody. I can't remember. I think it was um, uh, it wasn't Bobby Portis. Who did he go high glass over the top of? It was a uh, Crowder. And I was like, ooh, Nas is Nas is in his in his uh, skillmatic bag tonight. You know. Um... But he's like you know he's going to be and have to be their 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 spark and scoring off the bench. Um, mm -hmm. You know the Shake Milton and the Troy Brown Jr. unfortunately didn't work out, um, and so now they've they've by going and get Marquise Morris. Um, no, Monte or, Morris. Sorry, Monte Morris. Monte um, Morris. Mm -hmm. They have. I mean, their bench, Kyle Anderson, Nikhil, and uh, and Morris, and, and Nas Reed, and some J-Mac sprinkled in there, that's that's not a ton of scoring off of the bench. And so Nas Reed coming in and having 17 points um, is, is hopefully going to become a norm um, because we're going to need it. Um, but just looking at the overall stats, they, they're very balanced, um, and, and I can only imagine keeping the Bucks to 105 points. 
Um, their defense was was where it needed to be as well. I'm seeing that Giannis only played. Looks like he exited around the third quarter, three-and-a-half quarter mark. Yeah, they were Milwaukee was on the front end of a back-to-back, and I, I think mm-hmm. at one point in time, once that lead got out of hand, the third quarter, the Timberwolves were just absolutely dominant and broke that game wide open. We're on mm-hmm. five going into the fourth, and I think that it was uh, waved a white flag time. Yep. Rivers and prepare for the next night. Well, even even better to hear they were up by 25 going into the fourth. Um, so they, you know, that, when the Wolves play with intensity, when 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 the kids, when Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels play with intensity, this team is extremely hard to beat. They've got a veteran point guard who's probably one of the top five in the league right now. The way that he's he's contributed to this team. Um, and you've got side, you've, you've, the, the Wolves, we've said it time and time again, they have every single piece that they need to win a championship, to be championship contenders. It's whether or not Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels come with the intensity and, um, and, and, and the next step after the intensity would just be, are they going to mature fast enough to be able to, um, to play at the level that's needed to win a championship. But these numbers are, are what we're looking for out of the Wolves. Um, you know, if you replace all those bench points and give them to Jaden McDaniels and he gets his 16, 15 points a game, that's what the Wolves are looking for. Yeah, and I, and a couple of things about this particular game as well. I think, and I mentioned it uh, on on in my conversations on Twitter. I'm still refusing to call it X. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned in my conversations that I think that you're going to see a better Kyle Anderson down the stretch. I think that sometimes when players' names are constantly in trade rumors, that you know once the trade deadline comes and goes, and you kind of know this is our roster now. Um, guys can kind of really settle in to their roles and not have that hang cloud hanging over their head. They are human beings and trading teams is not just trading teams, but your family is moving cities. You're trying to find new, you know, places to stay. There's a lot that goes into moving teams. So I think that's going to be a factor. Um, for Kyle in his better play, I think that um, he can go back to being more of a secondary playmaker with Monte Morris coming in. Um, I really think that that acquisition is going to help the bench, not just from the standpoint of you know what you're going to get from him as a score slash playmaker, um, but also I think he's going to allow uh, Rudy Gobert to be better with that second unit. I think he's going to allow Nikhil Alexander-Walker to be a little bit more free on the offensive end and I think he's going to really set up Nas Reed really well, and I think it's going to take less pressure off of Kyle um, and and allow him to just kind of do those, you know, ancillary winning things that don't show up on the the stat sheet that he's really good at. So I'm hoping that uh, that move to bring him in and really replace two players that you were not playing, that had fallen out of the rotation, that you were hoping that you would get production from. You know, we don't know what type of Monte Morris we're going to see, um, you know, I'll take 80% of the guy that was in Denver. Um, and if we get anything more than that, I think that's, you know, bonus, bonus chips. But, uh, you know, going back to, to talking about Jaden's game against Milwaukee, you know, he only played 19 minutes. So, uh, again, eight points and three rebounds in 19 minutes, mm-hmm. um, is, is, you know, on, on pace toward what we're talking about, you know, you, the goal, you know, that's active Jaden. You would hope that if he played his customary 30 minutes, another, another 11 more minutes that he gets three more buckets and one or two more rebounds in there. So when you look at the per minutes, um, 
there's no, again, no coincidence that eight points and three rebounds in 19 minutes out of Jade McDaniels is a trajectory toward an active Jaden McDaniels. An active Jaden McDaniels usually leads to a winning Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, and so that's what you got in, in the Milwaukee game. And, and again, I can't say it enough. Chris Finch, going back to from the time he has come here, just has a way of getting his team to focus on what's next and who's next and bounce back. Um, our motto right now over at Richfield is who's next. We started the season with what's next, and now our motto is who's next, right? Um, and, I, and I just think that Chris Finch's ability to get this team focused on who's next um, has something that's been highly underrated. Last year, there was many a times where it seemed like the season was going to come off the rails, and then they'd come back and win three in a row and and keep fighting for that play-in slash playoff position uh, when things were so uh, turbulent. The ground turbulent underneath them, cats injuries, you know, Rudy being new. We talked about all of that. The D'Angelo Russell experience with Rudy, the trade, Mike Conley coming in, a lot of instability last year. Um, the year before that, finding a style that would win them ball games, you know, with the Pat Bev team and getting them into the plan. Oftentimes it seems like that team was going to come off the rails and Chris Finch always managed to right the ship. And you're seeing that in a different way this year. And lo and behold, as we do this podcast today uh, on, on, you know, today on February, you know, 11th, they're in first place. So for all of the for all of the late game, you know, debacles and everything that has gone wrong, uh, they have a winning record uh, so far in the new year, even though it might not seem like it at times. And they're in first place. Yep. So all all the people that want to criticize Chris Finch's what they perceive to be late game offense and this, that and other thing, you have to give the man his flowers. The man can coach his ass off. (laughs) Yep. They are in first place. It, It is a little. You know, we talked about off pot. Everybody's within a game of each other out of the first four spots in the West, mm-hmm. um, which is for the Wolves' sake. Um, you know, they could have avoided a lot of these losses um, that they have, and and it. But you could say that throughout the league. Every team, I'm sure Denver, Oklahoma City, the Clippers, they're all saying the same thing. Uh yes. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I feel, it, it, I feel like I feel I feel like most of these, like when you're talking about those teams, though, they don't. I, I don't watch them enough to say this, but I can only imagine that those veteran teams do not blow and lose late fourth quarter leads or fourth quarter leads. I wish I had the stat up um, that somebody posted earlier this week, and I, I I should have brought it. I didn't. I wasn't positive we were going to go um, here with this conversation, but somebody brought up the stat on um, top five teams in the league that have blown the most double-digit leads, and you would be surprised what names yeah. are at the top of that list. And so there is that. We tend to get tunnel vision as Timberwolves fans and as Timberwolves followers um, and and think that it's only our team. It's not. It's 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 the trend in the NBA. Um, a double digit lead is nothing anymore in the NBA. Um, so there is that. Um, the I reason think- I bring that up is just to say that the Wolves. I I feel like they could have had a four game lead in the West right now had they yes. not blown these leads, and then they're yes. sitting comfortably instead of every single night is a fight. 
between first and fourth, um, which I mentioned weeks ago that if, you know, if they did fall off the wagon a little bit, they wouldn't drop down to the seven, eight, nine, ten 10 spot, but they would be able to still be in the running for the top of the, to the, to the West. And that's now happened. And it's just a little unfortunate because they've been in positions. They could have easily been in a space where they have a three, four game lead over everybody in the West and let everyone else right now be fighting for their teeth. But that's not I, the case. Uh, yep. Yeah, and and that's, you know, that's the nature of an 82 game season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I kind of mentioned it last week. I, this team is very comparable in a lot of ways in terms of how their season is played out. Um, uh, to our to our Richfield team, with the exception of they haven't had the long losing streak that we had, but you know, our first three games we looked like we were going to be a top three team in three A, and then we went on this long losing streak, including dropping a couple games to some really to uh, to a really tough team in Milwaukee, a couple buzzer beater losses or late game losses in there. Um, we go on this long losing streak, and now we've won nine of our last 11 games. And lo and behold, if we run the table for the next two weeks, we have a chance to um, um, be tied for the conference championship. And so, you know, if you would have if you would have told us, you know, in the midst of that losing streak that we have a chance to still win this conference championship, you know, even us as coaches would have been like, Oof, that's a tall order. Um, but that's, you know, the nature of the beast in, in a long basketball season. Teams that were teams that beat us during that stretch that look like world beaters have dropped a few, you know. And so it's like, you know. All you can control is who's next, right? And and so that I think is got to be the focus, and then working on adjustments and getting better. And I think one adjustment that the Timberwolves have made to get better as we bring it back full circle, especially on the offensive end, and we talked about it on the podcast a few weeks back, is they are very much, and they've been vocal about it. Chris Finch has been vocal about it, unlocking the Anthony Edwards, Rudy Gobert screen and roll game. And that's mm-hmm. getting better and better. And there's no question that as that's gotten better and better, the Timberwolves offense is going to improve. And I bring that up because I think against Milwaukee, Anthony Edwards played one of the best offensive basketball games of his entire career. And I say that not, you know, 26 points is his average. He shot almost 50% to get it, 9 of 20. Uh, you know, shot about his average uh, from three, you know, a little bit below. With, I think it was like 35% that game from three. He's shooting 39% on the season. Nine turnovers. I mean, excuse me, nine assists, zero turnovers. Nine assists, zero turnovers. Um, that's it. That is it. And that doesn't even count the hockey assists. Um, and that means he's not passing in a crowd. I think I can remember one pass where he was really in a crowd and made a phenomenal left-handed kickout pass to Jaden McDaniels for a corner three. Um, just an amazing pass, really. I had to watch it twice in slow motion just to see how he even got that ball out there uh, with the left hand. But for the most part, he was making the simple pass, a couple pocket passes to Rudy on the roll game. Um, and we talked about it. If they unlock Ant and Rudy on the screen and roll game, which means Cat is in the corner, which they've done a lot more of lately. Um, for those of you clamoring for set plays, um, and Cat is – been buckets i think he's shooting like 47 percent from three in like his last five or ten games um and so that's the anthony edwards that is going to be scary 
if he keeps that up come playoff time. And that's what's going to make the Timberwolves scary is if we start getting seven, eight, nine assists, zero, one, two turnover games out of Ant to go along with the 26 to 30 points, that's when you're going to see that offensive rating um, tick up toward 117, 118, 119 points a game. And all of a sudden you're looking at a number one defense and a top 10 offense. I can agree with that real quick. I just pulled up the uh, fourth quarter um, margin throughout the league, and the Wolves are 16th um, in the league in that. And every single team that is in contention for that first place spot we just talked about is above them. All, and all the top four teams in the East are above the Wolves. And so um, – it's it's something obviously everyone's talking about it we understand that it's you know it's their achilles heel right now yeah um and if you know that just lets you know that we're again we're still number one in the west and we have failed to close out these games and if they if they can figure out this maturity and and keep this intensity and i mean it's just another reason why another stat why the timberwolves should be a championship contending team this year I got a question for you. I got I got a thought for you. Mm -hmm. Those numbers were really good up until the turn of the new year. Really up yep. until on that long stretch of what was it, sixteen straight games of teams over five hundred, which they came out of okay. But that's when you started to see, you know, the Dallas game, the San Antonio game. After that stretch, you started to see from January first on. Mm -hmm. I think the month of January, we can just say, is where a lot of those fourth quarter collapses came in. They were really good up until you know, really mid December. Um, I think they were one of the top five teams in the league at closing time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, up until then, um, what if it was just a bad month? What if they just had a, a bad month closing games? And uh, what if they turned that around with a really good, you know, February, March, in the April stint, the way that they were playing in November, December? Yeah. Uh, I would love to see like that. Then? Does that does that does that does that mean that they finish? You know, these are hypotheticals. Does that mean that they end up with the number one seed overall, holding yes. off the Clippers? Who tomorrow's game? To me, tomorrow's game is going to be an interesting one for two reasons. As we close out the Bucks and move into um, next week, um, one the Wolves have had some days to prepare. They've had three days. You know, they flew mm -hmm. back home from Milwaukee, had two days at home, fly out to L.A. Uh, I'm sure they had a couple practices. We know how how rare and precious NBA practices are. So not only have they had a chance to clean up what they've been struggling with and work on situational basketball, I'm sure, but also they've had a chance to game plan and prepare for the Clippers and maybe – try to um, have foresight into some of the adjustments that the Clippers might make into how uh, they played when they came here to Target Center and they were hot still. And they've cooled down a little bit, but not much. Um, and, and I'm curious to see, because I'm sure the Clippers also feel like they just missed shots in that game at, at the Target Center. Uh, Paul George had a rough shooting night. Um, James Harden had a rough shooting night. Um, so... I, tomorrow's game to me is very, very curious. You're going to get the Clippers' best shot, but you also should be prepared for that as well. And, you know, for as much as we talk about their fourth quarter collapses, the Timberwolves have one of the better records in the league against the top teams. And so, and they tend to play well 
no no coincidence because ants locked in and focused when they play those marquee teams they tend to play well against the top teams um to answer your question um i think that it absolutely well he started by asking me um if they just had a bad month right um i talked about it last week i really think that more so than them having a bad month i think that the teams that um we were yeah they were trying to figure it out but at this point in time there's I, i i really feel like there's maybe with the clippers there's a there's a determination of who has gets the last shot or or who they're going through to end games but most of the teams that are not don't have three ball heavy dominant guards on their team know exactly what they need to do every single game it's the way they close games it's the way they end games and i think that the timberwolves um were and still are kind of in a space where they have so many options that they are still trying to figure out which route to go and if they set if they stick to one route every single end of game or if they mix it up and mixing it up between two or three guys can cause confusion it can Mm -hmm. cause inconsistencies and and those things make a big difference when you're ending games and i think that once the team started to figure it out and and the players started to figure out their roles, I think that end of games become easier because there's less questions in your mind of where the ball's going and what we're doing. Um, and the Timberwolves just have a lot of options when it comes to guys that can knock down the three and then also Anthony Edwards and Cat, who can pretty much get a shot whenever and wherever they feel. Um, and so I think that's more of it. And I think that the the wolves are right now in a space where as a coach i don't i personally don't know what i would do i i always say you know anthony edwards is is almost unguardable but he's not at the space where he's making the right plays and so it's hard to put the ball in his hands um understanding that yes if they if if they guard you one-on-one if you have a you know, a real last second shot, a true last second shot, and you're getting double teamed, you're going to shoot it no matter what. But if those two things aren't happening, it just seems like Anthony Edwards is not always making the right play on time. And so that's forcing the Wolves to try to figure out other options when in all reality, we all know that when Anthony Edwards is able to make the right play, there is no better player to have the ball in your hand at the end of game, but he's not doing that. And so it's forcing them to have those questions and those, those thoughts about what they're doing end of game. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the points you bring up is that teams at this time of the year know who they are. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we talked about how, you know, that continuity that the Timberwolves had early in the season, you mentioned, you know, and Chris Finch talked about hoping that it would maybe buy them some games of advantage while other teams were trying to figure out what their identity was going to be. They came into the season already knowing what they wanted their identity to be and establishing that. Um, And then now teams have had a chance to kind of adjust to them. There's enough on tape now to kind of know how the Timberwolves are going to play. We also talked about that with their personnel when they're playing at their best, there's adjustments you can make, but there's not a lot you can do. It's really on the Timberwolves, as you said, to make the right play. And, and I think, you know, one of the things I talked about was that all-star award season is now over. So it's also maybe not a coincidence to me that, you know, Anthony Edwards has a game like he had against the Bucks. He's an all-star that you're not playing for stats anymore. The only way to get all NBA is to win. 
you know, and so the number one stat that's got to be important to Anthony Edwards at the end of games right now has got to be the one that putting that W in the left-hand column. Um, because that's how he's going to get that all NBA bonus. Um, we know he's going to score buckets, you know, but it's the nine assists. You put up games where you're getting 25 to 30 and eight, nine assists to zero, one, two turnovers, you're all NBA, and there's no talking about it. <laughs> you know, right. your team wins the game, you know, and so, um, I think, and again, I think also unlocking that Ant and Rudy, um, empty side screen and roll, if he can get that combination with Rudy down the same way that Mike Connolly has developed that relationship. Um, that's going to make them that much more dangerous. And so those are the things where the Wolves are finding out who they are. Again, I talk about coaching high school ball. Um, we played Friday night and we played a team that, yeah, we should win, but we knew they were going to be tougher at their place. It's the second time around. It's February. I feel like we played our most focused disciplined game that we've played all year long. And it doesn't surprise me, you know, that I, I feel like our kids have good coaching and it doesn't surprise me that teams with good coaching, i.e. the Minnesota Timberwolves um, are going to really start to find those things at this point in time of the season. And I really hope that manifests going into and coming out of the all-star break. If they win two of these next three games, you know, can we really complain with the three and two road, five game road trip? Anytime you go on the road for five games and you come back with more wins than you left with, uh, than, than losses, um, that's a successful road trip. You know, uh, if they can finish, you know, winning these, if they can get the Clippers game and then not stumble against a playing better right now, Portland Trailblazers team, you know, you come out of that four and one going into the all-star break, you're really feeling good about yourself. Um, and so uh, this is that time of year where you should start to see the fixes and, you know, um, and, and so I'm hoping that's what happens here in February with these Wolves teams. I do think that uh, Monte Morris is going to help. We'll see how much. Um, and we'll see how much he helps the second unit. But, you know, you got a guy that can create shots, opportunities, um, spacing for guys in that second unit. And we'll see what it does for guys like Nas Reed. We'll see what it does for Rudy Gobert. We'll see what it does for Nikhil Alexander-Walker. We'll see what it does for Kyle Anderson, um, having him in that second unit. Uh, we'll see what it does for Ant when the ants out there with the second unit and you have a guy who's capable of spacing the floor to the tune of 39, 40%, um, much like Mike, right? You have a player who's like Mike in the sense of he's going to knock down those open rhythm threes. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like, man. Let's do a, let's real do quick, real, trends. Yeah. Let me, one, one more thing on adding on to the question that you asked me. So yeah. just looking at the strength of schedule schedule um, to end the year, we have, the Wolves currently sitting at the 18th easiest um, schedule remaining, right below, mm -hmm. um, or sorry, right above Denver. So Denver is one spot lower, meaning that their strength of schedule is once once one's position easier. Based on, this is all based off of statistics. Mm -hmm. We talked about if the Wolves are able to close out games, um, are they going to be able to hold on to that one seed? I think that Denver. Um, Having pretty much the exact same schedule, we played Denver three times in the next before season's end. Um, we also play the Clippers three times, um, but their schedule um, is significantly harder than ours to end the year. And so um, when I look at that, if 
I, I almost want to say that how we do against Denver is going to determine that one or two seed. Um, OKC also has an extremely easy schedule to end the year. They are at 22 out of 30. Um, they only have to play the Clippers once, and they no longer have to play Denver. Um, so I, I, I personally think that it's going to be between us and Denver for the first and second spot um, if we're able to get this end-of-game situation under control and we close out the games that we're supposed to close out. Um, but we play them three times, and out of those three games, I think whoever takes two out of the three um, is going to be more than likely sitting at the first spot at, to end the year. My prediction was that the Timberwolves were going to finish third in the West. Um, mm -hmm. and I made that prediction because both the Clippers and Denver are led by guys who have won finals MVPs. They are veteran teams who have done it um, at a high level for a long time. They are not relying on a 22-year-old and 23-year-old wing who's going through these high-leverage games for the first time in their career. <laughs> Excuse me. Carl Anthony Towns has never been in a race like this for a number one seed, which means not only is the bullseye on your back from the good teams, but the bullseye is on your back from the bad teams. He's never been uh, in this situation before. Um, I do think Chris Finch's leadership, Mike Conley's leadership, and goodness, Rudy Gobert has been consistent. His consistency and leadership are going to play a role in keeping them in the fight to the end. But I, my prediction is that they end up third, um, and and quite honestly, if the Clippers end up with the one seed and the Wolves end up with the three seed behind Denver, um, depending on who the sixth seed is, could be good or bad. I actually don't fear Denver in the seven-game series if I'm the Timberwolves. Um, I think they have a lot of confidence against Denver and their ability to match up against Denver. Um, I do think the Wolves have to try to avoid the New Orleans Pelicans. I think everybody's going to try to avoid the New Orleans Pelicans. But but the teams that scare me that are not in that top four right now are the New Orleans Pelicans and, and the newly revamped Dallas Mavericks with a couple extra toys for Luka to play with and Phoenix. I mean, like, the West playoffs is going to be – it's not going to – seating is not going to matter. And that's, and that's and that's and that's I was just about to say I'm actually gonna play devil's advocate with your veteran idea because I personally think that the Clippers understand that seating is not gonna matter and so while the Wolves may be hungry and 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 they've had the, the first seat all year long I don't think they want to let I think every single time they look at that schedule and see that someone is close I think that that gives them an extra bonus and motivation to go out there and hold on to that one seed I think the Clippers understand that as long as they're in the top three top even four in all honesty but top three because you get home court advantage they they are comfortable with where they're at knowing that they have veterans who don't need to give it every single thing that they have to end every single game this year but save a little bit of energy for the playoffs um i think that the wolves are going to use that motivation that hunger if they can figure out like i said these 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 small things that are that are really biting them um to hold on to that one seed throughout the year well tell you what they have seven games Seven-game homestand coming out of the All-Star break. Um, you got the Bucks in there and the Clippers in there in that seven games. Um, and then you go on the road for six games. And that road trip, the front half of it at Indiana, at Cleveland, um, and then you go at L.A., for both the Lakers and Clippers. And then you got two games against a much-improved Utah Jazz team. 
those are going to be the, the, the seven. They got to come out of that seven game home stretch, seven and one, six and two. And then they got to come out of that six game road stretch, you know, three and three, four and two, I think, in order to really give themselves some distance um, and try to, to get that home court advantage. After that road trip, they come back with the Nuggets at home and the Cavaliers at home. And right now the Cavaliers are, you know, one of the best teams in the league right now in the last mm-hmm. 20 games, they are rolling. Um, so, uh, yeah, it just, you know, they still have games at Phoenix, um, at Denver. It's not going to be, it's not going to be simple. They're going to, this seven game home stretch, they would do well to come out of there six and one or so, especially, well, they got to finish this road trip starting mm-hmm. tomorrow night. You know, they got to finish this road trip minimum three and two, ideally four and one. And then they got to really be hot coming out of the all-star break and take advantage of these home games before they go on the road. So they got their work cut out for them, man. Let's uh, let's do concerning trends and hope it never ends and get out of here. I only have a a couple concerning trends uh, right now. Um, Obviously, the big one for me, and I'm sure you can probably agree, is the fourth quarter uh, execution. Mm -hmm. Uh that was a trend the entire month of January. Uh, that's the most concerning trend that's got to stop. Uh, the turnovers, especially in losses, are still a problem, although that's been coming down of late. And hopefully uh, more Monte Morris handling the ball and less Kyle Anderson handling the ball uh, in that second unit will bring those turnovers down even mm-hmm. more. Um, so, you know, but the fourth quarter collapses, the turnovers, and um, including those fourth quarter collapses, the decision-making by Anthony Edwards at closing time. Those are my three concerning trends. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, I agree with you on the fourth quarter execution. Um, I, I, I'm very curious to see if the Wolves in this after all-star break um, get their intensity back. Cause it's something we talked about early on, you know, they were, they, every single game they came out there, we're like, there's no off switch. And, and you know, at the time we were like, well, it's because you can't turn the off switch off. But, you know, that can weigh on a team over an 82-game season. And, um, you know, they're going to get a – right now they've got a three-game break. So, you know, they might come out ready to go to end this road trip um, with their intensity. But I, I really hope that their intensity comes back. Um, so to add to the fourth quarter breakdowns um, – concerning trend is their intensity levels being so fluctuating you know when they're on they're on and then when they're off they're off um and then um lastly um open never or concerning trend um i'll just hop on the turnovers just because that's been something that we've discussed all year long and it's gotten better um but it's still still can be too high at times so I'll just take the turnover as the third one. All right. Hope it never ends. Um, well, it has ended a couple times, but we'll start with the Wolves are in first place. <laughs> and, uh, and let's hope that that never ends. Let's, let's, let's hope they come out tomorrow and beat the Clippers and go to Portland and win back-to-back games and um, and cement themselves firmly in first place going into the break and never look back. So that's my first hope it never ends. Uh, my second hope it never ends. Um, I'm going to go with the uh, shooting percentage um, uh, and the uptick in threes specifically. Um, the last couple games, their three-point um, uh, uh, volume has gone up. 
Uh, there's no coincidence that that has to do with Carl Anthony Towns really shooting without hesitation. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's starting to become a catch and shoot, quick release sniper. And we talked about it early in the season how, you know, he's going to have to adjust because when he was playing the center spot, a lot of times he was getting wide open threes um, versus now. Um, he's going to have to shoot with guys closing out at him, guys, you know, um, closer in his body space, in his airspace when he goes to shoot. He's going to have to get it off quicker. Um, and, you know, the fact that he's shooting almost 45, 46% from three in the last 10 games or so, um, and he's catching and he's catching and letting it fly. Like, if you're not on the body now, he's dotting eyes. And that mm-hmm. is uh, hope it never ends because it's unlocking the Wolves' offense. Um, and that bleeds me into the third hope it never ends. I got the, them being number one. I got the uptick in three-point volume with, you know, kind of a 2A Carl Anthony Towns especially. And then the third hope it never ends is the uptick in efficiency and volume of Anthony and Ru- Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert uh, screen and rolls, especially the empty side screen and rolls. Um, I hope we see more and more of that. I hope we see more and more of the chemistry of that. And I hope we see more and more of Ant making the early passes out of that. I love those nine assists, no turnover games from Anthony Edwards. A lot of that being created by screen and roll game with him and Rudy Gobert. We talked about that being what they need to unlock going into the playoffs. If they were going to have a dominant playoff offense, we're starting to see it in action. And I hope that never ends. Okay. Um, Three things that we've talked about all in this podcast. Number one, the fact that they're first in the West. I hope that never ends. Um, Number two, the fact that the Timberwolves play their best basketball against the best teams, um, I hope that never ends because that's that's what's going to be required for us to win a championship. Um, and then lastly, I hope that the Timberwolves' health never ends because right. as a overall, um, they have remained healthy all year long. And, yeah. you know, when when you've made it this far with the same group of guys – one injury can can change everything because yeah. um, now they're in a rhythm they're 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 used to playing with each other they have expectations of where to be and when to be which they're still working on um, but one key injury to a player can change the whole dynamic of this team we talked about it last spring with Denver and Miami. I mean, obviously Miami was missing Oladipo and Tyler Hero, um, but we talked about Denver really being the team that was healthiest uh, going into the playoffs, not only playing well, obviously being the number one seed, but they were relatively healthy and uh, that bared fruit. And then we talked about Miami being maybe the most disciplined team in the league coming out of the Eastern Conference. And if you want to win a championship, two things you need is health and discipline. And I think that showed last year with the two teams that played for the title. So I think those are really good points um, talking about the health um, as one of your hope and never ends. Man, uh, good show, good stuff. I didn't even think we had this much stuff to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) three game week but uh a lot was thrown in there man appreciate you good conversations yes sir uh who you got kansas city or san francisco i know you like me mayor may jump in and out of it but not really not going to no parties been there done all of that but who you got i'm taking the chiefs i can't bet against patrick Mahomes. yeah who you got lloyd you you there lloyd might have had to take a L- L- Lay's already getting his uh his his dip. <laughs>
his seafood <laughs> ready for the uh for the Super Bowl. Uh I'm gonna go ahead and predict that um man, just because I like to be contrary, I don't really I that's another reason, like between Kansas City and San Francisco, I don't really want to have to root <laughs> Um, but I'm I'm gonna I, I'm gonna pick the lesser of two evils. Only because I just like being devil's advocate. I really think Kansas City is going to win, but I'm going to pick San Francisco just to mess with Lloyd because I know who he's going to pick. Uh huh. Um, yeah, well, we, we shall yeah, see. You're on mute, Lloyd. I'm sorry. I heard you. I was just a little way. I, I don't think y'all can hear me, but yeah, I'm going for the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, no surprise <laughs> there. You was getting your dip together, wasn't you? You want to, you know what? <laughs> you know what? You, you, you want to know why? Why? I was going for Lamar Jackson. I was hoping he'd get in there, right? Okay. But since he can't get in there, I want Mahomes to get in there, and uh, I think I'll put him closer to that Brady conversation, man. Because it's Black History Month. I wanted Lamar in History Month. No, no, no. I wanted Lamar in It started some mess. <laughs> I wanted. I wanted Lamar. It's just jokes. It's just. <laughs> Jokes. I don't need my wife coming down here like, "Hey." <laughs> uh, I, I wanted. I wanted the, the man who negotiated his own contract, and everybody thought he was too, too incompetent to do so to go out there and and show the world. But it, he'll, he's still going to get one. It's just I don't know when it's going to come. They need to get him some help. <laughs> he'll get one. All right, you have been tuned in to the Coach and the Culture Timberwolves-centric podcast for Lance Gardner, owner-proprietor of Yes! Exclamation Point Trees, and the super producer himself, Lloyd Leon Coop. I am Frank Centuali, a.k.a. Coach Frank. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next Sunday uh, to talk about the Wolves at the All-Star break, the All-Star game, and the seven-game home stretch coming out of the All-Star break. So please continue to follow us, hit like, hit subscribe, listen to us weekly, uh, help us get those uh, downloads up. Man, we shot way up. We shot way up in the month of January. So let's keep that going in the positive direction. It's because of you, the listeners, we can make this happen. You've been tuned in to the Coach in the Culture podcast. Peace. Peace.